Hey, if you grab some sermon notes on your way in, you can see that this morning I want to chat with you about soiling yourself. (laughs) Which, depending on your age, that could be something more literal than what I intended it to be. But uh, if you're a guest with us, you're like, what kind of cult did I just walk into? Uh, So what I actually, right out of the gates, what I actually want to talk to you about is not that. uh, There's a story that Jesus told, and it has to do with soil, like dirt. And I thought we'd spend a little bit of time chatting about that. But in fairness, I got your attention, didn't I? Soiling yourself. So that's good. But if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. You need to meet me in Matthew chapter 13. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, Matthew is towards the back. A place called the New Testament. Look for some guys' names. You'll find it while you're getting there. I want you to know that we're actually kicking off a series of messages today. We're going to spend six weeks looking at some stories that Jesus liked to tell. They're called parables. And in short, they are fictional stories that give a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. A fictional story that gives a moral, spiritual truth. In fact, the word parable, it literally means alongside. And so there's a story, and alongside it, there's a point to the story. That's why we're calling the series Hidden in Plain Sight. The message is right there for us to see, which uh, here's why I want to spend so much time discussing these parables that Jesus liked to tell. Because there's this crazy verse in Mark chapter 4 where the disciples come up to him and they're like, Jesus, why do you speak and preach and teach in parables? Perhaps you've wondered that. You're not the only one. People who spent three years with Jesus were wondering the same thing. Why do you teach in parables? But here's Jesus' response in Mark 4.11. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. To which I'm like, wait, I thought that was the point. To be forgiven. So what are you talking about, Jesus? Anybody else confused by that verse? When I first read it, I was like, what are you talking about? I thought this was it. And so uh, that seems very uncharacteristic of you, Jesus. Rather harsh that they might be turning for you. So we'll come back to that. First, Matthew chapter 13. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. Large crowds soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as been planted. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. God, thank you for your word. We're asking you to do now what only you can do. Give us ears to understand. Give us eyes to see what you would have us to learn Help us leave this place one step closer to your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, Leighton won an art contest at school. 
And it was the Sedgwick County Conservation Department that put on the contest, so naturally the award ceremony was at their annual meeting. Now, I'm not unfamiliar with conservation or the district's work. Laura and I live out in the country, and we have honeybees, and we have a garden, and so I've been to uh, the Sedgwick County Conservation Office before and and done some things there, and uh, I've done some research on why their work is important, but what I didn't know until I went to this banquet was just how seriously these folks take soil. Like, there's publications and displays and contests about dirt. And while we were there, they were promoting this contest where they want people from all over the county, they want to get soil samples from everybody's uh, ground so that they can put a display up at the fair. What does that mean, you ask? Oh, it means they put dirt in a mason jar on a shelf for you to look at. Like, that was the whole thing. And I was like, what in the world? How interesting is this? And uh, they have healthy soil summits where you have to pay money to listen to people who have been brought in from all over the world to talk about managing soil for mineral health and improving water quality and nitrogen and phosphorus efficiency and exploring, exploring the soil's microbiome and managing weeds and disease with a biotic mindset. And I'm like, you guys realize KU plays tonight, right? So if we could plow on ahead into the... See what I did there? Plow on. But if you look into this, like the science of soil, you'll find out that a number of universities have been documenting, and I quote, reliable declines in the amount of protein, calcium, phosphorus, iron, riboflavin, vitamin B12, and vitamin C in our fruits and vegetables over the past half century. In other words, for the past 50 years, foods are being depleted of nutrients because the soil is being depleted of nutrients, which means our body is being depleted of nutrients. Point being, the decisions we make regarding the condition of our soil is actually rather important. You might want to jot this down. Here's my entire message. I think the message that Jesus was trying to get across in the parable, what we become depends on decisions and conditions. What we become... Our proverbial soil health, this is what Jesus is talking about, depends on decisions and conditions. That is to say, you are a product not just of your upbringing or your environment. You are also a product of the choices you have made, the people that you've chose to listen to, the food that you've decided to eat, the education that you've decided to get. All these things play a part in shaping you and forming you as an individual. Now, honestly, that's not new news to anybody. I don't think anybody here right now is like, that is so profound, Pastor. I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Never heard such wisdom in all my years. If that's you, you're welcome, okay, for that. But uh, what you're probably wondering is, what does any of this have to do with the story that Jesus told? Thought he was talking about soil and seeds, not decisions and conditions. Well, fortunately for us, Jesus actually tells us the meaning of the story uh, and, and his parable. Check this out. It's verse 18. He says, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom of God and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. 
But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil, somebody say good soil, good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. So a couple of things. First of all, to point out, the farmer's identity is not expressly revealed because he is simply not important. He represents anybody who distributes the seed. The sower is anyone who proclaims the word of God, whether by preaching, personal evangelism, individual testimony, or whatever. He could be you. This morning he is me, but there's nothing about magical about him. There's nothing mystical about her. The sower is simply a gospel messenger, an evangelist, a Christian heralding the good news of Jesus. When you understand that, you realize the seed is the word of God. Just for the record, God's word is described as seed in James 1.18 and James 1.21. And in 1 Peter 1.23, it says God's word is a seed that is imperishable, like it doesn't expire God's word is enduring, it lasts forever, and it always has the potential to produce a harvest. Now, we also know that the soil is a picture of the human heart. The human heart is, of course, where the seed of God's word ought to take root. Yet here's where things get important, and here's why I said what you become depends on your decisions and your conditions, because all four kinds of soil are in the same field. They consist of the same minerals, They are organically and intrinsically the same. They have identical weather conditions. What makes them different from one another is whether or not they are suitable for producing fruit. I need you to get that because the point of the farmer's activity is not merely to cast out seed. It is to produce a harvest. In other words, every time I get up in front of you to throw out the unadulterated seed of the Word of God, which is the only true and legitimate seed that can produce a harvest in your life, every week I do that, my goal is to see fruit come forth out of your life. My goal isn't simply to make you laugh or entertain you with words. My goal is to see you grow. Furthermore, this is why you don't ever have to take my word as gospel. My word is not the seed. In fact, please don't trust everything that I say. Go look into it for yourself. Go explore the Bible for yourself. We have the same book for you to look at and for me to look at, which is also why you shouldn't just trust yourself either. And this is why when you come and talk to me about a message and you start out by saying, well, I think I immediately tune you out. Now, I pretend like I'm listening and I smile and I try and make you feel good about it, but I'm actually not because it really doesn't matter what you think and it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what does God think? What does God's word say? Show me the seed. You can feel that way. I'm not saying that's wrong, but show me the seed. So in my experience within church leadership, I'm finding Christians tend to adopt all kinds of bizarre and unbiblical methodologies because they think they can elicit a better response from hard, shallow, or worldly soils. Some alter the seed. Some manufacture synthetic seed. They try to update the message and tone down the offense of the cross. 
They leave out the parts that are hard and, again, offensive. Because make no mistake, the message of Jesus is offensive. That you're a sinner and you need a Savior and there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God because He's freely given that to you in the form of His Son, Jesus. And the only way to spend an eternity with Him in heaven is to trust in His Son and the price that He paid on the cross. That's offensive. Nobody wants to hear that. I heard a popular pastor, very popular pastor, say in an interview, I don't need to talk about sin. People know they're sinners, so I never use the word sin in my messages. I want to lift people up, not bring them down. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's not casting out good seed. That's not the message that God has entrusted to us as the ministers of the gospel. He's asked us to plant His seed. Yet in our infinite wisdom, we've decided that throwing seed around is primitive and unsophisticated, so a lot of churches imagine and devise a better use for the field. But this parable is not about enhancing the quality of the seed or improving the skill of the sower or finding a more elegant use for the farm. It's all about the condition of the soil. It's about the decisions that you can make that will lead to a harvest or not. 75% will not, by the way. Did you catch that? Three out of the four soils will not produce fruit. 75% of people will get thrown a seed and they'll soil themselves. They'll make a mess of their lives. So with the rest of our time together, what I want to clearly articulate is how to make the most of your harvest. Because I want you in the 25%. I want you to make decisions that will better your conditions and you can reap a harvest in your life of 30, 60, a hundred fold of what was there. The potential is there. It's just up to you. To that point, the first thing that you can do if you're going to soil yourself is neglect your time with God. You want to make a mess of your life? You want to screw things up? Make decisions that will lead to the unfruitful condition by neglecting your time with God. This is represented in our parable by the dry, hardened soil. Jesus is, in effect, saying, Beware of listening to the Word of God with a hard heart. He says, Some seed falls on hard ground and it never penetrates. You should know farming back then was drastically different than farming is today, at least on a commercial scale. Today we have all these tractors and equipment and GPS and planters and combines, and that's not how it was done a few thousand years ago. In fact, archaeologists have discovered that farming back then was traditionally done in long, narrow strips, similar to how home gardening is done today. It was done in rows so that you could walk along the rows and have access to your fruit in order to pull weeds or cultivate the rocky soil and tend the garden. What about quantity back then? It was about quality. So a farmer would hitch up his ox and his plow, and he'd plow the ground. And when the soil was ready to plant, he'd put on a little uh, bag, and he'd reach his hand in, and then he'd start casting the seed. And he'd throw. And he'd walk on the outside of the rows in order to catch the seed. And in certain areas where he walked, it would get tramped down by the weight of his body as he planted. Seed would inevitably land there, whether that was from the wind or a hard toss or whatever. And everybody listening to the story, that would all make sense to them. This is an agrarian society. They would understand how planting was done. And when you realize that Jesus is really talking about your heart, you'll understand that what he's saying is your soil lies exposed to all kinds of stomping and everything wicked that comes along. Indifference, insensibility, 
I need intellectual credibility. I'm a good person. It all has made this person's heart dry, dense, and impenetrable. Because when you don't get in there and you cultivate and tend and fertilize and water, the ground becomes hard. And if you just come to church, but you never do church, and you never actually get involved, and you never serve, and you never sing, and you never get in a group, and you neglect your time with God, and you never read your Bible, and you never pray, slowly, ever so slowly, slowly enough that you won't begin to notice it, your heart begins to harden. You become religiously numb. You should know Jesus is not describing atheists here. Keep in mind, he's speaking to a people in a highly religious culture. And the hardest hearts in this audience on this day are the religious elite, the top scribes and Pharisees. They're not interested in spiritual conversations. They're not interested in God's truth. They're not interested in people being converted. They're not interested in God's kingdom. They're interested in their own kingdom. They're interested in power and prestige and being noticed. They're like those wax fruits that you see on people's table from a distance. It looks like nice fruit until you get up there and you're like, why would you do that? I can't eat any of that. And they're like, it's to look at. It's for decoration. My eyes can't eat anything. What's the point of that? Why would you put even that out? And in verse 19, Jesus says, the evil one, our enemy, the devil, comes in and he snatches that seed because it could never penetrate. It couldn't get in the ground where the dirt could do its work. And if all you want to do is think about Christianity and debate doctrine and get all kinds of head knowledge, and if all you want is to follow rules and rituals to put on your to-do list, your heart's going to grow hard because you're not actually producing any fruit, which is what you've been called to do. So what do you do about that? What's your role if your heart is hard? Your role in that place is to simply pray to God that he would soften the ground. Pray that God would give you an understanding for why his word is important. The Old Testament tells us that Rehoboam, Solomon's foolish son, who was supposed to take over the kingdom of Jerusalem after Solomon, says that he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And that's the duty of every person, to prepare your soil. It's decisions and conditions. Did Rehoboam have the right conditions in the kingdom of the, one of the greatest kings ever? Absolutely. But he didn't prepare his heart. And if that's not you who's in that spot, then your prayer is still the same. We don't write off people who are not spiritually open. We pray to God that he would create a sensitivity towards spiritual realities in their heart. You pray what David prayed in Psalm 51 when he said, Create in me, or in this case, create in them a clean heart, O God. In short, we sow seed. God breaks ground. That's why it's about decisions and conditions. The conditions can be right. But if you never actually make the decision to follow Jesus, then your life will never change. Make no mistake, there's nothing that you can do to earn your way into the kingdom of God other than trust in Jesus that he did everything for you. That's too simple, Pastor. No, that's fertile soil. That's good soil with good seed. Here's another bad decision you can make. You want to soil yourself? Give up early and often. Give up early and often. This is symbolized by the shallow soil, the rocky soil. This is interesting because it looks good initially. Like the farmer would have no idea that there's rock buried down below until the plant comes up and the sun burns it down. This is very common back then. Jesus says the shallow-hearted person who responds immediately to the gospel, but they only do it superficially. 
Look at verse 20. Jesus says, They received the message in their heart with what? Three-letter word. Joy. They receive it with joy. This is an entirely emotional decision. People talking about, I just love Jesus. He makes me feel so good and we're so blessed. And the problem with that is you start relying on your feelings as your barometer for your faith rather than trusting in Jesus. So while your Bible says one of your enemies in this place, in this world, it's your own heart. It's your flesh. Because how many times have you lied to yourself? How many times are you the one responsible for your bad decision? And instead of chasing after Jesus when things get hard, you start looking for emotional responses to make you feel better. And the problem with a lot of people is they'll never produce anything fruitful because they won't ever stay planted in one place long enough. So they'll run to a new school. They'll run to a new job. They'll run to a new church, run to a new doctrine, run to a new spouse, run to a new relationship. And if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't feel good, this isn't about perseverance for me, that I better do something else. But God didn't save you to feel good. God saved you to produce good fruit. So I'll explain it like this. Every habit in your life started in your heart. You wanted something, so you started chasing after it. And there's an ancient proverb that says, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Decisions and conditions. Listen, if you're not producing good fruit, then start planting some different seeds. Try changing the watering schedule. Start pushing through those dry, hard, drought-like seasons. Get some wood chips down on that garden. This is about perseverance. Plants take a long time to grow. Plants need a little bit of work. You've got to give it some time. You're giving up too soon. The problem is, oftentimes, you're the only one who knows what's really going on below the surface in your heart. Which is why number three and number two are so closely related. If you want to keep soiling yourself, then make all these emotional decisions, give up early and often, and neglect your time with God. And number three, hang around with the wrong people. You want to screw things up? Put people in your life that have no real sense of credibility or integrity. Hang around with the wrong people. See, the Bible makes it clear that your enemy in this world isn't just the devil. When you neglect your time with God, he comes in and steals the seed. It's not just your heart, your own flesh. It's also the world. It's culture. These are the weeds in our parable. Jesus says these things are going to crowd out the fruit of God and nothing will crowd out Christ more than comparison. That's why hanging out with the wrong people is such a big deal. Because they'll say, well, I've got a high interest rate loan and it worked out fine for me. I've been married multiple times, divorced. It worked out for me. I cheated on my spouse and nobody found out. I took that extra drink. Nothing was a big deal. I did that shady business deal. You see what I'm saying? I don't need to come to church every week. I go once a month. I'm fine. You know, I don't need to get in a group. I don't need more friends. Like, my life's fine. Nobody needs to hold me accountable. And when we don't know what to do, we'll hang around with who we know. We'll go back to what's comfortable. See, people, most people, they're not looking for acceptance. They're looking for approval. I can accept you because Jesus accepts you. What I can't do is approve of your behavior. I'm not going to give you permission to soil yourself. You know what I'm saying? 
kind of interesting because that phrase soil herself, it was originally said in the 13th century and it meant to defile or pollute with sin. Came from a French word, soilier, which was a wild boar wallow. That spot in the ground where pigs, you know, flop around in the mud. It reminded me of another parable that Jesus told about a son who took his inheritance and chased after all the things in this world that he thought was going to make him happy. He ended up soil himself, quite literally living with the pigs, but he came to his senses. He humbled himself. His father happily took him back. And when you understand both parables, you understand that God keeps having people throw seed out onto your heart, and it's good seed. Stop wasting the seed's potential. They're inviting you to come back. God is inviting you to come back to Him. You don't need to be going down that path anymore. Making decisions, giving appropriate conditions. Let it grow. Look, the reason Jesus told this parable was as a warning. So can I just give you gently the same warning? Examine your heart. Look at your soil. Is it dry? Is it shallow? Is it fertile? Does it have some weeds? Or are you going to bear good fruit? What's good fruit? Oh, Galatians 5 tells us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Is your life marked by that seed and that fruit? Joy? Self-control? Patience? Come on, somebody. How many of you all know you don't ever pray for patience? God will find a way to give you that. Because if they're not marked by that fruit, guess what? You're soiling yourself. So let me close this up like this. Several years ago, the Wall Street Journal carried a story of Harry Lipsig. He's a lawyer who at the age of 88, let that sink in, 88 decided to leave the law firm that he started himself, that he'd built up from the ground for 60 years so that he could start a new firm. When he was asked the obvious question of why, Lipsig said he evidently wasn't dying fast enough for the men under him who wanted their chance to run the firm. So at 88, he left this firm, launched a new one. His very first case in this new enterprise involved a woman suing the city of New York because a drunken police officer had struck and killed her 71-year-old husband with his patrol car. The woman sued the city for a million dollars, arguing the city had deprived her of her husband's future earnings potential. The city countered that at the age of 71, he had little potential left for earning income. And in what can only be described as pure genius, she hires Lipsig. And when a vigorous 88-year-old Harry Lipsig strolls into the courtroom the opening day of the trial, the city quickly decided to settle out of court. They were going to lose that mug. Lipsig said in his article that he'll never retire. He said, a few doctors recommended it along the way, but they're all dead now. (laughs) So here's my point. Jesus ended this parable by making it clear that you have potential. 30, 60, a hundredfold potential, which is unheard of in farming. You get two, three, maybe four times the potential, not 30, 60, a hundred. And Jesus said, it's all right there. Lurking in the good seed when someone has tossed it into some good soil. You just got to get your conditions right with the decisions that you make. So who are you listening to? 
Who are you pursuing after? Is it Jesus? Has something in your heart changed that's made it hard and shallow? And are you bitter? Do you have unforgiveness? I don't know what it is in your heart, but I know it's time to get it right. Make the decision. There's potential in your seed. There's potential in your ground. You just got to get it right. And if you're thinking, you never answered why Jesus said what he said about forgiveness in Mark chapter 4, then I'll see you next week during part 2 of Hidden in Plain Sight. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we all have potential. That we can bear out fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. It's a matter of getting this good seed from your word. Trusting the promises that you've made. That you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth to give us life and give it to the full. That you're not trying to keep anything from us. That the rules that you've put into place are simply the fence around our garden so that we might bear good fruit. And when we get out of there, nobody's tending the garden. So God, forgive us for the times that we've neglected you. Forgive us for just taking this on an emotional level and never really trusting you and persevering and going from one thing to the next. Forgive us for listening to the wrong people. God, help us start making some decisions to get this soil condition right so we can reap the blessing that you have promised that only comes from living a life dedicated to you. This might be the first time you've ever heard this message of Jesus. Had this seed tossed into your life. The Bible makes it clear that all you have to do is trust this message. That God is who He said He was. That He'll do what He promised to do, which is save your life. Give you a new one. Have you start bearing good fruit. You can just simply say, God, I believe in your son Jesus. I believe this message that I can't earn my way into right standing with you. But Jesus lived a perfect life, so I don't have to. So forgive my sin. Make me new. God, send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way into each person's life so that they might leave one step closer to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.